Welcome to our After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership. Our podcast is here to help teachers and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. If you work in education and looking to improve or develop your skills, then this podcast is here to help you. Welcome back to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership. Georgie here, Director of Learning and Development for the Classroom Partnership, and we are returning to focus on a new series of podcasts with Helen Morgan, a previous Head of School and Associate of Thirsty Scholars Partnership, and Andy Bridge, current Deputy Principal. In our last podcast, we explored how high our how high our high expectations should be. I'll put my teeth in today. And today we're focusing on what does cognitive science tell us about how students learn? It's only in the last few years that many educational researchers have really engaged with cognitive science, but it's now very clear that an understanding of the brain and how learning happens is essential for teachers and early career teachers. So today we're going to look at what cognitive science tells us about long term memory and how we can maximise the information students can store and retrieve from it. And uh, we've called this podcast, What Does Cognitive Science Tell Us About our student, How Our Students Learn? So I'm going to start by handing over to Helen. Good morning, Helen. And can you start by sharing with us what, what is actually cognitive science? What is it all about? OK, uh, that's a big question. Good morning, Georgie. Uh, <laughs> morning. Good morning, Andy. But I think, you know, when we think about cognitive science, it, it's essentially the study of how the mind works, how it functions and how it behaves. I think when we translate that into an educational context, um, what we generally tend to think about is, you know, what is it that we know about how the brain works in terms of how students learn best? And I think there's been a, a, a really kind of growing interest in cognitive science um, not just from early career teachers, but I think from all teachers, because what we want to do is make sure that what we're doing in schools with students um, maximises their learning opportunities and gives them the very best chance. Um, I think when we kind of think about cognitive science, it's, it's important to link it to neuroscience as well, because I think what we've learned about the brain in recent years is that the brain is um, much more plastic than we thought it was so therefore we know that all children can probably learn more effectively than we ever thought was possible if we teach them well and if if we apply aspects of cognitive science to the way that we teach them Um, and you know ultimately what we're trying to do in terms of cognitive science is help students to build what is often called a schema which is a roadmap of learning, knowledge, uh, skills and understanding. And when students are learning, if we can help them to make those connections, um, not just within subjects, but beyond subjects to real life, then that roadmap um, gets much bigger and cognitive science can really help us with the strategies to build that roadmap. Yeah. Excellent. So what, what do teachers need to know about how students learn? Let me to go with this one, Georgie. Yeah, please, Andy. Um, so for me, I think this links really nicely to what we've 
said in the first podcast of this series. So we were talking then about having high expectations of students, but on its own, that's not enough. We need to know, um, you know, the specialist knowledge of how to help students to meet them. And that really, for me, is what what cognitive science um, can help teachers, especially early career teachers with. Um, you know, this is it, it's just the daily part of our practice. It's teacher standard two, promoting good progress. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate what what our job as teachers are and we get bogged down in paperwork and policies and all the hoops that we're jumping through. Actually, we're just there to make learning happen. Um, you know, obviously there's safeguarding responsibilities and professional obligations, but the core of our job is promoting learning, um, by which we mean a lasting change in people's capabilities and understanding. Um, and I think if we really drill that into our heads, that that's what we're there for, to bring about learning and then consider how are we going to make that happen? So we need our teachers to know um about the working memory and the long-term memory we need them to understand forgetting um and strategies that we can implement to help reduce the amount of information that students are forgetting uh, i think we need probably a good understanding of cognitive load um how to manage that carefully so that students aren't overwhelmed with unnecessary information or too many distractions um so that they can focus on that core learning help move it from the work into the long-term memory and then really we need teachers to have a good understanding of deliberate practice and how they're going to carefully embed that throughout their curriculum to bring about that change in the long term memory. But yeah, there's definitely a lot more to it, isn't it, than just sort of showing up and, and sharing your English knowledge that if it's approached in a in a, a really robust manner and um, almost turning it on its head and actually thinking about the process, um, it. it feels like it's a completely different approach but it makes so much sense so what kind of things can teachers do to improve the long-term memory Helen yeah I think just you know as a starting point if we link to what Andy just said about cognitive load um, then we need to kind of avoid really overloading the the working memory and what we know is that if we overload um, the working memory then students just forget things. Um, so what we've got to try and do is help them to move things from their working memory into their long-term memory. And, you know, if we think about what learning is, like Andy said, it's that lasting change in people's capabilities and understanding. So I think one of the things that we can do is, is employ strategies that help students to move things from their working memory to their long-term memory. I think other things that we can do, and, and this one is such an obvious one, I think teachers have always done it, but I think they're doing it a lot more deliberately, deliberately now, is really drawing on prior knowledge. So finding out what students already know mm -hmm. and really working harder at dredging that almost mm -hmm. with students and making, you know, helping them to make those connections. Um, if you think about our first podcast series, it was all about Rose and Shine's principles. Mm -hmm. And Rose and Shine's principles really apply here. So it's about really helping students to take those small steps and breaking things down, particularly um, with new learning and reducing some of those distractions for students. Um, you know, when we're distracted, we don't learn well. So if we can remove distractions and help students to focus, I think that can, you know, be really, really powerful. 
Um, Andy, I don't know if you would add to some of those ideas. Yeah, I think you've probably got um, the key ones there. The, the only others I'd probably say um, would be thinking in advance about what are the misconceptions that students may um, have with whatever topic that you're teaching. And if we really deliberately think of it in advance and we can plan how we're going to prevent um, prevent those misconceptions um, being communicated to the students. Um, sequencing, I think, is really important kind of as experts, if you like, within our subjects, it's easy to kind of just think something's maybe quite obvious to understand, but actually really thinking about um, what's the best order to teach this in. So what what's the, the more basic core knowledge that students need to have a really good grasp of before we introduce the more complex aspects and making sure we're getting that all in the right order. Um, and then again, kind of questioning and checking for understanding and having that really good awareness of your classroom of you might have delivered an explanation but what have the students understood of that and it, is it the same thing um because if you get that right then you can identify at that exact point um what the misunderstanding is and deal with it there and then rather than letting something become embedded um in a student's memory it's, you know it's then much harder to deal with it later on yeah i think just building on that last point um from andy uh, tom sherrington talks um a, a lot about the idea of checking for understanding and for early career teachers he offers a really really helpful tip which is just moving away from asking has everyone understood at which point all of the class just nod at you and stare blankly but you've got no idea about what they've understood to actually asking that question to specific students what have you understood here and I think that shift of not just assuming everyone is understood but really checking it out is absolutely critical for early career teachers and it's a really really simple shift um, but if you make it it will really help you to understand where your students are at. Yeah and, and I think that's understanding where the students are at and actually having a, a deep understanding of them as individuals is, is hugely important and, and also you know, there's a lot more evidence to show that actually making sure the students understand the process they've gone through so that they actually understand that they are going through a learning process and, and then they can take it away and reapply it themselves, particularly in the secondary sector. I think that's becoming more and more the norm as well, Helen, yeah? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, you make such a good point then, and Andy did as well about learning being a process. And mm -hmm. um, if you, we link that to what Andy said about the idea of sequencing lessons, um, I think that's quite a big shift. I think, yeah. you know, maybe five years ago, um, we were all stuck in what Christine Council refers to as the, the tyranny of the individual lesson, mm -hmm. where we were teaching lessons, but not necessarily making really good connections between the lessons. And I think one of the, the, the best things, um, you know, that mentors can do to support early career teachers is to help them to, to think about that sequence of learning and how learning connects and, and builds and how we help students to, to really revisit key learning. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, do you agree? Yeah, completely agree. And, and just to build on what you said, Georgie, about um, increasing students' awareness of this, I think it's so important that if we're going to 
go through this whole process of sequencing our curriculum and thinking about the best ways we can communicate information with students, getting them to understand that process. So as you said, they can then go away and structure their revision in a really purposeful way and make sure they're not wasting the time they're using all of the strategies that we know are going to have the biggest impact on their learning. Um, if we don't share that information with students, I think we're doing them a, a disservice. Yeah, absolutely. That's when we really move them to independence as well, isn't it? Because they, they begin to self-regulate because they understand the process and really understand themselves as learners. Yeah, and they know what they what they how they learn because everybody work, learns differently, don't they? So and what works for them and and what they found successful. So it's almost giving them an instruction manual for learning, isn't it? That's a, that's a very simple sort of uh, 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 sort of analogy there. So what can we do to reduce the amount of information students forget? You know, Helen said a lot of this content kind of links back to that series we did on Rosenshine, and um, for me, it does. It this is quite common sense things but focusing on a really articulate high quality explanations that you're delivering in um in your lessons repetition and thinking about where you coming back and going over the absolute key points numerous times until you're sure that students understand it um thinking about the process of practice so how are you going to move from uh, what we talked about is like the i do we do you do moving from modeling to co-construction to independent practice Having a really clear plan for retrieval practice, you know, daily review, but also monthly and longer term, um, you're spacing and interleaving your, your content, and then thinking really carefully about um, what scaffolding have you got in place to support students and how and when are you going to gradually remove that to build their confidence that they can do this independently without your support. So nothing new, nothing kind of revolutionary or groundbreaking, but just those kind of basic principles that we keep coming back to. Mm -hmm. And and you think if um, early career teachers sort of um, unpack some of those and, and start sort of, you know, reading around that, that will really help give them some key strategies as well, Helen? Yeah, I think I think so. And I think, you know, going back to Andy's first point there about teacher exposition, um, you know, one of the things um, you did just earlier was you used an analogy mm -hmm. to connect what you were hearing to something that you already know to, to sort of make something that might sound quite abstract, concrete. And I think when teachers give really good explanations, when they can use really good analogies to, if you like, illustrate those explanations so that students can make those connections and, and maybe use more than one analogy or more than one explanation, I think that really reduces students um you know ability to forget things and increases their ability to remember things and you know when when you talk to children i don't know um andy whether you would concur with this but you know when you sit down with kids and you ask them you know so so what makes a good teacher they, they will always say um a teacher who gives really clear and easy to understand explanations and I think it's a, a much underrated skill um, mm -hmm. in teaching. That for me, I'm really pleased to see that being a focus um, in the early career framework. I, I'd agree. And I think, um, you know, so before we're often like the subject experts, um, it can be easy to just think you can give an off the cuff explanation. But actually, that, that exposition part of your lesson almost requires more thought than any other of how you're going to communicate that to a non-expert audience 
um, you know, what analogies are you going to use? How are you going to make something quite abstract seem, you know, understandable in a very clear and coherent manner to students who've maybe all got different prior knowledge and understanding? It's really tough um, and it, it does need some kind of careful thought in advance. And, and often yeah. if, you, if you can switch um, some kind of concept into a, a visual experience that they would be familiar with, such as learning to play football. We've talked through analogies when we've gone through Rosenshines or learning to ride a bike or driving a car or all yeah. those sort of things that are, are daily sort of functions that that can also help reinforce the, the similarity of the process that they're going through for another subject as well. Helen, sorry, I interrupted you there. Yeah, I think, I mean, again, it's, it's so important, isn't it? Because it, it is that that being able to connect that often makes it meaningful for mm -hmm. students where they can create that personal connection. I also kind of think about that idea of independent practice. Um, and sometimes, you know, we don't give enough time to that in lessons. Um, in that independent practice piece, um, you know, students get a chance to really apply their learning. So as a teacher, you can see how much they've either remembered, understood. Um, and I think for me, building in regular independent practice, but making sure it's quality time for them to practice it well um, is really important. You know, we, we know the benefits of practice, don't we? Um, I don't know if any of you are Strictly fans. Absolutely. But, you know... You know, strictly, you see an expert work with a novice dancer. Um, they engage in loads of practice. And then what we see is and get some feedback at the end and then apply the feedback. And, and you see that process of learning mm -hmm. across 12 weeks or so in a series. And what you see is people make remarkable progress in yeah. that time. And I think really some of those principles are principles that we're trying to apply um, when we're in a classroom with students so it's you know again making those connections can be, be really powerful for early career teachers and for students as well absolutely so do you, what would be your one sort of top tip that we could share with early career teachers that are listening or their mentors today I think I'd say, I kind of mentioned before, we sometimes overcomplicate the job and um, get distracted by, you know, all the other things that school life involves. But fundamentally, we've got this really simple priority of working out what we want students to learn and know and then finding the best route to get them there. And with this cognitive science, I think that's working out how can the cognitive science help you do that? How can the cognitive science help inform the, the route map that you take? to get students to acquire that knowledge. Yeah, and that there's lots of sort of reading around it and resources that are available um, in, in this sort of field. So um, highly recommend doing some reading around that. And what would your sort of key takeaway be, Helen, from this? Yeah, I think kind of, you know, alongside what Andy said, um, if we think about cognitive science, it sounds really complicated, doesn't it? You know, I'm an English teacher and I hear the word science and I think it's going to blow my brain. Um, <laughs> but I think what, what we want teachers to be um, is informed um, and we want them to, to start being increasingly informed about cognitive science. So I'd say start engaging 
with the research around cognitive science, um, a good place to start. It's not the only place that you can start is the EEF, um, the Education Endowment Foundation, um, and use some of the references there um, to really kind of go beyond the initial research. I think one of the, the things that teachers can get stuck with is, is just reading summaries. Yeah. Um, and if you read summaries um, or you just have a basic understanding, then what you end up with is, is what people are now calling lethal um, mutations of cognitive science where it's you know applied really badly or misapplied so I think for me um, be informed build your knowledge and you know try and get some depth in your understanding of specific aspects of cognitive science because they will help you to become a better teacher and they'll help you your students to learn more effectively Absolutely. And, and if you go and shadow any kind of really competent teacher or, or um, your mentor, then you'll see also that, you know, this, these sort of practices in activities and, and scaffolding in place. So um, you should have lots of great examples that you can reach from within your community. Thank you so much, Helen and Andy, for joining us today. Again, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I think we've only just touched on the concepts of cognitive science there, but there's lots more that we could have this conversation all day. It's something that uh, I know all three of us are very passionate about. In our next podcast, we'll be unpacking and discussing how we can develop our subject knowledge. And this podcast explores the importance of subject and curriculum knowledge and considers how we can always strive to enhance our confidence with this further. Our After the Bell podcast are released on a weekly basis and they provide quick tips and discussions with experts around all things educational. And you can listen to them on your daily commute, walking the dog or as you're winding down at the end of the day. You've been listening to After the Bell. Thank you so much for joining us again. Bye.